Another edition of the Swarmcast. David Eichel here. Please be joined by Chicago White Sox fanatic Sean Bach. Sean, congratulations on your first playoff game in, in 12 years. Yeah, thank you. I appreciate it. I mean, last time the White Sox were in a playoff game, I was nine. So that was third or fourth grade. I think third <laughs> grade, maybe fourth. Um, so it's been a while. I remember watching game four of the ALDS at my friend's place, um, and they ended up losing. And Ever since then, it seems like everything has kind of been a blur. So, even with the even with the playoffs being expanded this year, I, I it does feel like a normal year. I'm still happy about it. I mean, obviously the end of the year um, didn't do me any favors, but I mean it is what it is. It's it's October baseball, so it, I'm happy about it. Was it uh, was Ozzy Gee in the manager at the time? Um, it was I think either, that was Ozzy era, wasn't it? It was Ozzy, yeah, because then it was Robin. Um, I forget what year Robin Ventura took over. So I think it was Ozzy. I could be wrong on that, but that was when like Ken Griffey Jr. and Jim Tomey were in like their last years of the MLB. Yeah, so that's and that right. was like a white that was a White Sox staple. Um, getting like former superstars in their last couple years. Like they had Manny Ramirez, Jim Tomey. I mean, Jim Tomey was good for the Sox. Um, and Ken Griffey Jr. had that big had that big out or that big um assist in the in the what was it the wild card game the black yeah that's i remember that now yeah Yeah. that's right yeah where he threw out michael kadire at the plate um so that 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 memory always sticks with me but other than that i haven't really had too many memories of the of ken griffey jr's era in uh in chicago i mean i grew up the game i grew up going to games like we went to like 15 to 20 home games every year um but how far how far is your uh your family's place from the stadium it was like, so we lived in the suburbs, so it was like 30, 35 minutes. Um, okay, that's not too shabby. Yeah, so we went to like, but then once I started playing like travel baseball and stuff like that, then we didn't get to go as much, but we still went to like 10 or 10 games a year. But I sure. mean, hey, it's it's a good day to be a White Sox fan. I, I feel confident about the wild card. <laughs> I don't know. If we put the Twins in the ALDS, then I'll get scared. But... Yeah, I mean, no, it wouldn't, it wouldn't be the I saw your Twitter exchange. She kind of messed you up mentally with that. Yeah, dude. Like, I literally went to bed at, like, 10 o'clock last, or, like, 9.30 <laughs> last night, and I could not sleep. Like, it was it was absolutely brutal. Oh, man. Yeah, qu- last quick story, and we'll get on with the, the podcast. So, I uh, I used to go to spring baseball, right, because I was about six hours from uh, Surprise, Arizona, and I lived in Utah for 10 years. And we'd yeah. get front row seats above the White Sox dugout. And Ozzie Guillen threw me five foul balls throughout the game. And it was like just chatting up a storm with my dad and I. And on two of the baseballs, he got the entire team to sign to sign it. And so I have two baseballs signed by the World Series winning Chicago White Sox that year. Uh, how much can I buy? How much can I buy them for? I'm honestly curious. I might try to get an appraisal on a, on one of them. But, uh, Dude, you yeah. could, I mean, there's not many Sox fans in Iowa City, so – <laughs> your your market your customer market extremely small. limited <laughs> yeah so, yeah i'll I mean, have to i'll have to send that to you but uh yeah that was a right ozzy is a great guy he's a psycho but i loved him yeah you couldn't understand anything said either <laughs> but uh anyway not to get too far off track i had to, i had to congratulate you but uh plenty going on in the uh iowa sports world uh, Sean, I mean, Iowa football is coming back in less than four weeks. We'll start by previewing the basic matchup, dive in a little bit of some maybe depth chart 
Uh, but I think the number one story uh, regarding Iowa football right now has nothing to do with Iowa football, Sean. I mean, I think you look at uh, since last our last podcast, what we got answered to uh, Rondale Moore is officially opting back in for the Purdue Boilermakers this season. And that game against Purdue got a whole lot more interesting, and it was already incredibly interesting, I think, uh, to start with. Obviously, Rondale Moore is fresh off a knee injury. Uh, but, I, you know, I think he, he – he's already a solidified first-round pick, but I think he genuine, genuinely loves the Boilermakers. And, you know, as a football fan, Sean, I'm ecstatic and so excited to watch uh, what David Bell and Rondale Moore can do as a duo because David Bell's an obvious future Sunday receiver. He had 197 yards against the Hawkeyes last year. It was a matchup nightmare. And Rondale Moore has only played Iowa once. And if I remember properly, I'll have to double-check the stat in a second. I think he had six receptions for only like 42 yards in his only matchup against the Hawkeyes um, in that previous – in his only matchup during his freshman year. Uh, but I'm, I'm, I'm very excited about this game just as, as an avid football watcher because I think it's going to be uh, just incredibly interesting to watch how Phil Parker uh, tries to overcome that kryptonite of Purdue's passing offense. Yeah, and I think, too, that game, that game in 2018 at Purdue, um, obviously Rondell Moore was shut down, but they had another receiver. I forget who it was. Terry That's Wright, maybe? I think, too. I think it was that Terry sounds Wright. Right. Yeah. Yeah had three touchdowns and had like a career game, but, and it, Boilermakers still ended up winning, but I think the situation you get here is you got two high, you got two stud wide receivers, David Bell and Rondell Moore, both guys that are going to be Sunday players. With Moore, I mean, we saw that, or I saw a mock draft come out that he was, I think, number four in, I'm not, I think it was number four. Um, wow. So he got, he definitely boosted his stock. Um, so, I mean, we'll see what happens. I think the just the passing attack as a whole, Iowa's younger secondary. I mean, obviously Matt Hankins um, is a veteran guy, but a couple of others. Um, the safety, I mean, that other safety spot will be interesting too. I mean, Jack Kerner is coming back, but also the spot who who's going to replace Geno Stone, um, as well as the other cornerback spot. Cause, I mean, you got Matt Hankins, who's a veteran guy, at either left or right corner. Um, and then you have that other one that seems to be up there. Who knows? We could see a Julius Brent. Um, we could see Terry Roberts. We could see Jamari Harris. Um, there's options out there. And that will be interesting to see how kind of just the whole secondary in general kind of responds to it. Because Purdue, I mean, if they can get the ball down the field, then that's going to be dangerous. I mean, there's definitely some questions with their running game. I know they, haven't, they didn't have a rush for last year over 500 yards. And yeah. the guy, their leading rusher, King Guerrero, King comes back, and I think he had like 451. I mean, he's a solid back, but Purdue, they're going to try and kill you with their passing game. And the quarterback position too is a question. Jack Plummer seems to be the guy going into going into camp. Obviously, Aiden O'Connell was the one that I believe played against Iowa last year, the fourth yes. string walk-on, and then they have a UCLA transfer too that um, comes and could could make a role. Um, I was reading the other day, I don't remember the site exactly, that some people believe that we could see three starting quarterbacks for Purdue throughout the season. I'm, I'm sure Jeff Brom doesn't hope that's the case, but I think there's just so many question marks at that position that no one really feels confident about, what, about what's going to happen there. So I want to quickly <laughs> clarify. I said 42 yards. Uh, during the first matchup Rondell Moore had with Iowa, it was actually – 
uh, 31 yards on six catches. But like you said, um, you know, about the corner position, I think Riley Moss is probably going to be the guy to start. But like you right. said, I think we could see a Deron McKinney maybe, a Terry Roberts, um, Jamari Harris. And like you said, I'm really interested to see what they do at safety. And I have a, a little bit of a, of a prediction. I'm not sure if it's a hot take or not. I don't think Dane Belton will play cash this year. I think they move him back to safety or replace Geno Stone. And I think a guy that would fit the mold for a cash position I think would be really good, Sean. I think you look at Julius Brents at that spot. I think Julius Brents has that length. He has a good amount of speed. And he is a playmaker. I mean, he was a lockdown corner for a very, very solid high school program. Warren Central, I believe, was a top 25 ranked high school team in the country. And that's actually in the same graduating class as, as one of his good friends, David Bell, part of that, like I said, Warren Central uh, program there. So I look at Julius Brents as to maybe get that cash position. But I'll tell you what, if, if I'm Jeff Brom, immediately I'm going three deep passes to start off the game. Keep going downfield until Iowa can make you prove that they can stop him. Because like you said, Geno Stone's gone. They do have Jack Kerner back, and he made some big plays last year. Uh, I think Dane Belton is due for a, a mini breakout year. I think he'll have one or two interceptions at least on the year because he is a big playmaker. He was um, at Jesuit High School in Florida, Tampa, Florida. Uh, and he's a guy I think that brings a lot to the table. Riley Moss, I believe his only career interception or two interceptions uh, came against Purdue. So I think that's something else to watch as well. But, yeah, that that matchup. That chess matchup between Jeff Brom and Iowa defensive coordinator Phil Parker, I think it's going to be really interesting to watch. And I think Purdue's going to come out incredibly aggressive and say, make us stop doing this. You need to stop us. Make a big play. Have an interception or two. Uh, because that's why I think it's given them success in the past. I mean, you brought it up earlier, Sean, during that first matchup. How exactly do they come back and beat Iowa 38-36? Terry Wright, downfield, time and time and time again. Keep in mind, there were two or three players that got benched by Parker throughout that game because nobody could stop him. On the very next play after somebody got benched, I think Riley Moss got beat downfield for another touchdown. So, look, uh, I, I, I said in our way too early pregame prediction for the Big Ten that I think Purdue was going to beat Nebraska in their first game, and I'm not saying Iowa and Nebraska are the same. But that first matchup against that powerful of a passing attack, especially when you have, you know, some questionable parts of your secondary, I think it's just a dangerous game. And Iowa's going to need to come out, and they're not going to be able to be rusty because Rondale Moore feels like he has something to prove. And David Bell, I think, is the top three wide receiver in the conference. Dave, two things. So Julius Brents was the part of the 2018 class out of Warren Central. And then Riley Moss has had one so one of his four career interceptions was against Purdue and the other three were against Minnesota. So that's right. He had the two against yeah. yeah, you're right. Yep. He had the one I remember against uh against Purdue. Yeah. So I think you hit everything on the nose there too. I mean we could dive into the defense as well. I mean I was looking at yesterday and they got their whole secondaries returning, but I mean you look at last year's stats and they were thirteenth in the big ten in passing defense. Mm-hmm. And that's gonna be a big priority too for first year uh, defense coordinator Bob Diaco, actually a former Iowa linebacker, is fixing up that secondary. They got a transfer from UConn who led the Huskies in tackles the past two years, and then they got all returners at the main the main secondary spot. So that too for the Iowa for the Iowa offense is going to be a big big thing as well. I mean, 
gonna be passing attack versus passing attack. Who whoever can throw for the most yards or whoever can stop the air attack, like is gonna be the team that seems like it's gonna win. Um, but I think you gotta give the advantage to Iowa on the offense as a whole just because of the proven running game that they have with Tyler Goodson and just him being in that starting that that can that know that for sure starter role. I th- for the whole season, I think is going to give him that confidence to really make something happen. But I do think passing the air attack and who can throw for the most yards and who can find that consistent the consistent weapons throughout the in the air is going to be is going to be vital in this game and will ultimately decide the winner. Yeah, I know Iowa fans don't like hearing that it's going to be a shootout, but keep in mind too. It'll be interesting to see what Bob Diaco's defense can do. Iowa has gone against Bob Diaco defenses before. Remember, he was at Nebraska in 2017, and Iowa came out uh, and, and really ran all over them and really put together a complete performance, especially in the second half, 56-14 to 14 win. in uh, during what ended up being, I think, the final game for Mike Riley uh, at Nebraska. But like you said, I think that Tyler Goodson is going to be able to alleviate some of the pressure off of Spencer Petras, but – if Iowa was ever going to have a new starting quarterback, Sean, I mean, you're talking about this is the perfect scenario, right? You have top, your top four receivers returning, Tyrone Tracy, Amir Smith-Marset, uh, Brand Smith, Nico Regani. You have Tyler Goodson, who I think is going to be a breakout star in the Big Ten. You have two fifth-year tackles, an Indiana graduate transfer, Coy Cronk and Alaric Jackson. You also have a uh, second-year returning center in – in Tyler Linderbaum, who's poised to potentially be, I think, a future first-round draft pick. And if Iowa can get improved guard play, I mean, you're talking about Kirk Ferentz's most complete uh, offense that he's ever had. And you get a guy like, again, Sam Laporta, who's probably going to be, I think, a potential all-conference caliber tight end this year. Not Maybe not first or second team. I think he can be a third-team guy. And I think he can be a big-time red zone weapon there as well so the pieces are in place for Iowa to have an explosive offense yes I say explosive and I'm interested to see what Brian Ferentz can do and how much more he's going to open up the playbook because I think I mentioned this during our last swarm cast Sean Brian one of Brian Ferentz's absolute best game plans came against USC in the holiday bowl utilizing Mir Smith Marset's speed on the outside throwing in some trick plays and really you know trying to outrun teams with the jet sweep and it, it really worked out to, in Iowa's favor. And I think if he can bring that level of detail every week in and week out with the talent that Iowa has in offense, I think that they could have a very, very formidable and respected offense uh, in, in the Big Ten. It's absolutely wild to me that, for me, I almost have more questions about the defense than I do the offense. But obviously the biggest question is, what can Spencer Petras do on a Big Ten level? Yeah, and I think – I think the hardest, whoever's going to have the hardest, who is going to have the hardest role in this game or challenge in this game is the bookmakers. Like, what do you put the spread on this game? Because you got a traditional Iowa team. I mean, we didn't talk about the offensive weapons that they have. You, they could either score, I don't know, 35 points or they could score like 17. And you got Purdue, who is not great defensively, but can score the ball if they want to. So what do you put this spread at in this game? That's that's what I want to know. No, and that's exactly right. I mean, I, I think right now the spread's at eight and a half, and I think that's a little lofty. And it's in Iowa's favor because I think Purdue, again, to that explosive receiving core, that's enough to keep them in game. So 
we're gonna have plenty of time to talk about this, Sean. Um, but look, I, I think Iowa's schedule sets them up very nicely for a potential showdown with with Wisconsin on December twelfth for the Big Ten West title because. With the way Nebraska's lined up, I don't see them competing. I, I have a hard time seeing them get to four wins. I think that they could be incredibly um, defeated more, uh, just you know, morally after the first four games. I mean, they open at Ohio State, then they get uh, Wisconsin back-to-back games, and I can't remember their next two matchups, but I think they go up against uh, a Michigan or a Penn State. I think in in week four i'll have to double check on that quick uh minnesota it goes, dave it goes um it goes penn state oh wait let me look i think it goes no. penn state nebraska no i'm talking about nebraska schedule not not iowa schedule oh oh i thought you were talking about oh okay. no 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 so nebraska schedule i'm talking about people who could contend for the west uh it's at ohio state Wisconsin, and then it goes at Northwestern, who Nebraska has traditionally struggled with, might I add. And then they get Penn State at home. I mean, that's a brutal four-game stretch. And then they get Illinois, and then they go at Iowa, at Purdue, and Minnesota at home. With that schedule, I don't see them competing. Uh, Minnesota, I think, has an opportunity to compete, especially if Rashad Bateman gets that final clearance, which I believe he should. I think anyone that's opted in, opted out of the college football season should be able to opt back in no questions asked as long as there wasn't a substantial amount of money or member you know all that stuff exchanged if they can solve that but minnesota i mean they got michigan at the opener at maryland at illinois iowa at home purdue at home at wisconsin northwestern and at nebraska um it's an okay schedule but i think the way with the way iowa's is lined up i mean i think that Kirk Ferentz and that staff and what, what Iowa has going, I think they need to feel pretty, pretty solid because there's a good chance I think they can start off a potential 4-0 going into a, a Penn State in week five. Because like I said, at Purdue, I think is a very sneaky game. Northwestern, Michigan State, I think that's two wins for Iowa. At Minnesota, that's up in the air for me. I think Minnesota's a really good team. They return a lot of pieces. But I think Antoine Winfield, the safety – uh, second team All-American now with Tampa Bay Buccaneers. I think I'm interested to see if they can replace him in that secondary. Uh, then Iowa goes at Penn State, host Nebraska, at Illinois, and Wisconsin. I think if Iowa can win six, five out of their first seven games, I think it's going to potentially line them up for a showdown for the Big Ten West uh, with Wisconsin in Kinnick Stadium on December 12th. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Yeah, the big thing is just taking care of games that you got to win. Yep. Like Illinois, I feel like you got to take care of that game. I mean, it's going to be a sneaky good game. I'm, I know Jeremy Werner of our Illinois side is higher than the Illini. And just listening to him talk about them, the weapons they have offensively, like Iowa and returning guys on defense, plus with Brandon Peters at quarterback, like they're going to be a tough team to beat. Northwestern, Peyton Ramsey, their defense is pretty good. They got some decent wide receivers this year, running back kind of returns. 
Um, that'll be tough to beat. There's going to be Michigan State. I mean, that's probably the only sure win I see, and I don't even consider that a sure win. Um, they're going to be they're going to be tough to beat. Um, so just you got to win the games you're supposed to win. That's the only way you can be set up with teams like Wisconsin for the Big Ten West, Minnesota as well. That's a game you got to win on the road. I mean, I don't think it's a must win on the road, but I think you're definitely feeling a lot better about your season if you win that one on the road because I think that's the toughest road game they have outside of Penn State. And Penn State, as we know, has probably the most talented team in the country with or without Micah Parsons. And that's, I mean, they're not, I don't think they're up there as a whole team with um, Clemson and Alabama because I think they're a different, they're in, in a tier of their own. Yeah, I mean, we just haven't seen Ohio State play yet, so I guess it's not fair to make sure. Well, they did get they get they did get Wyatt Davis and Sean Wade back, which I think was absolutely right. massive. Right. So I think on paper, looking at Penn State, like they're probably the most talented team, one of the most talented teams in the country, at least top five. Mm-hmm. Um, so it'll be interesting. I think I think there's games that you definitely got to win. I mean, I know Iowa's got to win at least those four games that I mentioned, um, plus Nebraska, so four games that. I mentioned so Nebraska, Michigan State, Illinois, Northwestern. Those are games you got to win, and then I think the other ones could be could be toss ups, honestly. So let's break down the biggest question, Sean. I mean, I know we 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 had a Zoom about this uh, Zoom video for HawkeyeInsider.com, twenty four seven Sports. But I mean, the biggest question mark right now is Spencer Petrus. I mean, I think we're talking about introducing a new starting quarterback. I, again, I think this is the perfect scenario for him. He is a third-year player, and keep in mind, he was an early enrollee as well, so he got that first spring under his belt. He had the opportunity to learn under Nate Stanley. He has communications. Uh, you know, I think a strong chemistry with his teammates, with Tyler Linderbaum. Um, who, you know, they, they, there's been reports, obviously, of those two walking out campus together, practicing, snapping, right? Uh, those two have a close bond. Um, you have all the receivers, you have all the tight ends, you have the running backs. I mean, you got productive players around him. In his first road game in the Big Ten, there is no, there's going to be no crowd uh, as far as Big Ten guidelines go due to COVID-19. So he gets to play his first road game without a crowd. He has chemistry with his teammates. He's been in the system for three years. The biggest question is for, for the offense, and maybe I think for Iowa, is what – can Spencer Petrus do? I mean, we broke down the reasonable expectations, uh, but let, let's kind of just rehash that a little bit and go back and forth, Sean. I mean, what do you think Petrus can do with this offense? I definitely think they have more proven weapons than they did in Stanley's first year. Matt Vandenberg wasn't at the peak. Nick Easley was kind of a just a Juco guy um, or coming from the Juco. Noah Fan, I was pretty well known. TJ Hawkinson was more of an under-the-radar type guy. Um, but, I mean, what you got with Petrus is you got four proven receivers who could improve on if the drops go down, then that could be something. You got Sam Laporta who emerged last year and could be a guy that has already drawn comparisons to TJ Hawkinson. Then you got Tyler Goodson on the backfield who can lessen the load um, but also go out and catch passes. So. There's talent, that's for sure, around him. I think there's more talent. I can't remember who on the offense, who was on the offensive line during that Stanley year. Um, so that kind of could be interesting as well. But I think Petrus, 
just the hype that he has going in, I think learning under Stanley for the past two and a half years has been something that was really big for him because he understands the offense. He knows what's expected of him. Now it's just putting on the field at this point. Like, I think there's really nothing else that we can talk about. I mean, the next couple of weeks of fall camp leading up to the season will be huge just to get that comfort level down and kind of just get back in the swing of things. But as far as just now, it's just time to put it on the field, have that production on the field because we can only talk about his 50 touchdowns, two interceptions, breaking off Jerry Goff's record yep. in high school for so long. So there's a lot of question marks for sure. But as until we see it on the field, I think it's kind of – I don't know. There's We just haven't – what he's thrown like 10 passes in his career. I think six of 10. Then he has the one rushing touchdown, I believe. Right. And like how many people were really paying attention during those during those snaps? Exactly. Exactly. And I think that that's the big thing too, Sean. And like you said – I mean, look, as impressive as, as his high school stats were, and keep in mind, I mean, there are times he only played a half a game, three quarters of the game, because his team was blowing out everybody, right? So, I mean, those stats could have been a lot more ridiculous than they already were. But like you said, that's three years ago. And, you know, when you get to, I think, anywhere in the country, but especially Iowa, nobody cares about what you did in high school. Like, it's important for context, uh, just so fans can get to know the, the, you know, the, the new player and all that. But it's about what can you put on the field. But from every interaction I've had with Spencer, you know, getting to talk to him, he has a very good head on his shoulders. He's very well respected by his teammates. He's more of an outgoing guy, I think, than Nate Stanley was. Nate Stanley is a little bit more reserved um, and quiet. And Spencer's not afraid to put himself out there a little bit. And I think that, he, again, he, he's earned the respect of his teammates. Nate Stanley was, you know, praised him highly. And I'm interested to see what that first conversation is going to be like, Sean, uh, during the next media availability, hopefully, uh, when we actually get a talk uh, to Spencer Petras and really kind of pick his brain about his thoughts about everything, too. And keep in mind, I think he is a bit closer to some of the guys, I mean, throughout, you know, this quarantine and obviously, you know, the, the racial allegations and everything. The, you know that happened but Spencer did not go home to California during the entire COVID quarantine I mean he stayed in Iowa City uh, and I think just some of that off the field chemistry really does translate to on the field and that's not me saying that that's the actual players saying that several players who we heard over the summer following all the craziness that's gone on uh, said the same thing off the field chemistry will translate to on the field better play uh, so like you said I'm interested to see what he can do and we'll uh We'll have to go from there. Before we dive into our mailbag, Sean, uh, again, you're listening to Swarmcast, HawkeyeInsider.com, 24-7 Sports, David Eichel, along with Sean Bach. Another question that I've been really trying to, you know, kind of thinking about, Sean, is the, the tight end position. And I'm saying that because I, I think it, it's, it's an interesting question. I think somebody brought it up on our board, actually, earlier in the week. How many tight ends is Iowa going to use this year? There's a lot of guys that are, you know came into came to Iowa highly touted. Uh, Sam Laporta, I think, is due for a breakout year. But remember, they have Sean Byer back for another year. Do they only go too deep, or are there plays where they rotate a potential third guy in, or are there going to be a, is there going to be a three tight end set? I mean, because I think Elijah Yelverton has a shot to compete. I think Luke Lachey is an interesting prospect. I think. And like Josiah Neiman, he's an impressive prospect coming out of high school as well. I mean, the tight end room for Iowa is stacked right now. Yeah, I mean, <clears throat> I know I heard from a couple of people that maybe we could see some three tight end sets this year, but 
I think it's most likely that they go with two. Um, but I mean, you got to consider the wideouts that they have. Maybe we can go, maybe Iowa will go four out, um, yeah. which will be interesting. So I think at most we'll see two or three. Um, I think we'll see more two than we will three, but honestly, I don't, I don't know at this point, that's kind of a, something else we got to, that the game will answer. Um, so, fall camp will probably, but, well, quote unquote, fall camp. I mean, I mean, obviously, right. a lot of this stuff is depending on how people perform when padded practices start tomorrow. Right, but I think you also got to look at this too. I mean, Laporta was a guy that really emerged last year and is really gaining the coaching staff's trust. Bayer, we haven't really seen much of that throughout his career yet, but I'm not saying that we won't. Elijah Yelverton, he's a freshman. We got, you got. Josiah Miaman, who was a pretty highly touted guy coming out of high school, haven't seen much of him. Luke Lachey, I think, needs another year or two before he really makes that or can be in the conversation making that huge impact. So there's a lot of question marks at that position, but I think you have to like the talent that they have in the room because that's upside talent. That's talent that you can have produced. And I think, too, if, I, if there's a guy that I think could somewhat contribute this year, I think it's Elijah Yelverton. I mean, I'm not counting out me and then or Bayer, but I think Yelverton's the guy that a lot of people are excited about. And I think they should be, too. I mean, he was, a, again, I think he held nearly, what, nearly 40 offers coming out of high school. Uh, Luke Lachey, an incredible athlete. I mean, he, he's, you know, son of a, I think, a Pro Bowl offensive linemen so obviously blocking is in his blood but he'll have to continue uh, to work on that but I think he'll be a big time red zone target and I think he's a potential top two round future draft pick I think he has that kind of ceiling I think he has a chance to be very very uh, good at Iowa but like you said I think fall camp's going to answer these questions a lot more once we you know talk to some people and know about how certain guys are performing uh, in fall camp if they are going to go three tight ends deep it wouldn't surprise me but like you said, I think if Brandon Smith, you know, and all those guys don't knock on wood, stay healthy, uh, you, we could see a lot more four wide receiver sets because Iowa has four legitimate good wide receivers. Um, but with that being said, Sean, my biggest thing about Iowa not being able to score last year, they could get the ball downfield. They struggled in the red zone. I mean, that's why Keith Duncan had a record-breaking field goal kicking season, right? They missed the Noah Fant. They missed the TJ Hawkins, and they missed that big body uh, just to throw the ball to over the middle. And especially when Brandon Smith's out, I mean, he's a guy you can throw a fade to or a 50-50 ball that ends up being a you know 70-30 ball uh, just because of his athleticism. Um, and I think Yelverton's a guy that could step up. Laporta could step up. Heck, maybe Sean Byer can step, step up if he stays healthy. And he's been dealt a bad hand, too. I mean, keep in mind, he was an in-state uh, superstar on the football field, did literally everything for his high school. Uh, but he was stuck behind TJ Hawkins and Noah Fant and I think George Kittle. I mean, <laughs> that's, a, that's a little bit of a, uh, a rough patch, uh, to say the least. So it, I'm interested to see if he can make an impact in his final season. Um, but, yeah, like I said, we'll have to wait and see. Uh, answer some of our questions here, Sean, before we kind of wrap this up. Uh, since this will be coming out, on Tuesday, there's a big Iowa basketball decision coming up in a couple of days. Sean, uh, number top overall target, 2021 Waukee small forward. Uh, Peyton Sanford is going to be announcing his official decision. Uh, what can you kind of tell us right now about that recruitment and just what, what's your kind of gut feel on everything right now? 
Yeah, I mean, before I get into how I feel about it, Iowa's done a great job here. Um, I think they've done the best of any staff that's been recruiting him. They're making him a priority since they offered, being really the main guy in 2021 that they want to get, and rightfully so. Um, but as far as, like, where things stand right now, I haven't received official word yet, but I have my crystal ball in Iowa. Um, I feel good about Iowa's chances to land him on Thursday. Nothing official yet, but I think the Hawkeyes are in prime position to get him. What does that say about uh, his brother Price? Because we've talked about this before. His, his 2023, uh, class 2023 younger brother could end up being a better prospect than Peyton. I mean, it doesn't hurt. That's for sure. Um, Price is going to have his own recruitment. He's going to kind of see where things go. Um, but that doesn't, it doesn't hurt Iowa. That's for sure. I mean, Price has said before that he wants to really make his recruitment, his own recruitment, that Peyton where Peyton goes um, won't affect him. But I know these two pretty well, and they're pretty tight with each other. So I definitely think it could have somewhat of an impact if Peyton goes to Iowa. Uh, somebody's asking, updates on 2021 recruiting. Came to a halt this summer and was wondering if there are any irons in the fire. Lost on quite a few guys that would have made this class top 10. Ricky Parks, Thomas Fedome, uh Helm, Skylar Bell, Michael Mislinski. Uh just, I, I guess we can just dive into really quick. Uh, James Carney, Nebraska, twenty twenty one tight end, who's you know picking up some more offers ever since Iowa offers has added offers from Kansas State, and I believe he added a Pittsburgh offer, correct? Yeah, the other day it was Pittsburgh. So I'll give us an update on uh, on James Carney. Yeah, I mean, I think things are going to come down to Iowa and Kansas State. I mean, that could obviously be altered if Nebraska comes in with an offer, but I think the longer Nebraska waits, the less they had to offer and or the less they have a chance with them. And some background on Carney, Nebraska, he grew up in first. I think that's what, like right outside Lincoln. So he grew up a big, a big Husker fan. Nebraska has been kind of doing the playing around with him a little bit. I mean, I shouldn't say playing around, just say kind of throwing him a little bit, like kind of, playing the waiting game as we say but I mean from what I've heard Nebraska doesn't have really any room left on offense in the 2021 class um, especially at the tight end position I already got Thomas Fedoni out of council blocks and then AJ Rollins out of Creighton Prep there in Omaha so Carney's really appealed about or really interested in being kind of the number one guy at tight end in the class um, I'm not saying it's going to be the end all be all but I know that's something that Iowa offers that Nebraska really can. I don't know if Kansas State is another guy now. I might have to check on that. Um, but Iowa having him as the main tight end in the class is definitely intriguing to him. And it's kind of looking like a decision will come a little bit after Oct in October. Um, one one date I've been hearing lately, Mike Schaefer for our Huskers 247 that reported this is that October 11th looking like a potential decision date for Carney. And I think if that's the date, Nebraska kind of holds off then. Iowa and Kansas State are the two to watch right now. I'd say it's 55-45 Iowa right now, um, but I definitely think the Hawkeyes have a good chance. I mean, I feel I feel a little more confident about Iowa's chances than those percentages, but I think that's kind of where things are right now. I feel good about Iowa, but I do not want to sleep on Kansas State. 
Introducing the Two-Way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the Two-Way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the Two-Way for yourself at NewBalance.com. And he's a guy who I think would have garnered a lot more offers had he been able to go to camps. I mean, Sean, we've oh, written, you, you've written extensively about this. I mean, he improved his 40 time by what, 0. 0.5, 0. 0.6, uh, yeah. basically since the start of the year. Uh, you know, a good uh, two-way standout, plays defensive end as well. And the second part to that question, too, uh, was, oh, by the way, uh, Jordan Oladokin is, is still recruiting Ricky Parks. I mean, Ricky Parks has never been to Utah. It looks like he will not be able to visit Utah until – he, he signs them basically and ends up yeah. enrolling there. Uh, not sure how much traction will actually be there. Um, but you know, that that's just something, you know, part of the game sometimes in recruiting is you get all your top targets early and then your other top targets suicide later, you miss out on all of them. I mean, it really is just the way recruiting goes. Um, second part of that question was how will NCAA eligibility affect numbers due to COVID-19 so this is a pretty loaded – a simple question, but it's a loaded answer. I'll give you the very, very basic breakdown of it. Basically, earlier this year, the NCAA Board of Governors approved a big blanket waiver uh, for all fall, all fall sport athletes. It basically grants them an extra year of eligibility. So, like, let's say Brandon Smith wanted to come back after this year and play next year. He'd be allowed to do that. Emir Smith-Marset, um, all the seniors could – but this is what's also driving coaches and staffs nuts because I believe right now they have not increased the scholarship limit. So that's going to make things more difficult. Um, but as far as a sixth year of uh, – el- sorry, so let me, let me rewind a little bit. Senior student athletes who take advantage of the additional year of eligibility will not count toward the team scholarship limits the following year. And, but you need to keep in mind, even if the, you know, the, the scholarship limit of 85 is temporarily expanded, athletic departments are still dealing with significant budget shortfalls. So they may not be in a position to honor those scholarships. I mean, think about, I I wish I could remember the sports off the top of my head, Sean, but I think Wisconsin basically told their spring seniors that they're not going to bring them back for another year of eligibility or another year on scholarship. I mean, it was the first real big domino from that aspect. Uh, and it won't surprise me if Iowa or several other schools follow suit just because of all the budget shortfalls. So to recap, every single player gets a year of eligibility after this year, so any of the players could come back. But again, with that being said, the seniors, this year's seniors will not, you know, they, they can come back on scholarship, but it will not count toward the scholarship limits but everybody else will load and, you know, simple question, load answer. I'm not even sure if the NCAA is aware of everything going on right now, uh, but we'll continue to cl- clarify that and write about uh, a Hawkeyeinsider.com. I'm sure as well as several other uh, schools will as well. Uh, Sean, I'll let you kind of take this uh, and I'll, I'll chime in on it, but it, it's, you know, pre it's an interesting question, but I'm curious your thoughts on it. Will the Chris Doyle stuff be impacting anything? Do you think it's impacting 2022 recruitment at all right now? 
I'd say it's impacted maybe like one or two guys. Um, I'm not going to name names, obviously, but I think mm-hmm. there's a couple that were kind of turned or were very turned off by it, didn't consider Iowa, that they ultimately would they would have considered. Um, but as far as long term, I think just getting the guys on campus and kind of proving that the unity um, of the whole program in general can be changed and that things have changed are going to be key there. Um, I think that's going to be the ultimate ultimate decider. I know a lot of prospects when I've talked to them have not mentioned it at all. Um, continue to feel good about the program. And I think just once they get players on campus, then I think people are – recruits, parents are going to feel more comfortable about sending their kids to Iowa potentially. Yeah, I mean, I, I tend to agree with you, at least from people I've talked to in the know. It really hasn't affected a lot. And keep in mind – I don't – I got to be careful with how I phrase this because I don't want to – but speaking with a couple of prospects that are very interested in Iowa, they, it's not that they see it as a, a good thing, Sean. Maybe you can help me clarify this. But they see it as they can help be a part of the changing culture, and that's appealing to them because they know it's only going to get better and better. Right. Do you think I phrased that, prop, phrased that pretty properly? I mean, it's not that it's a good thing that everything happened. But it, it was a good thing that was brought to light and future in some other prospects, even top Iowa targets, might I add, have said they can see themselves help being a part of that change uh, in the culture at Iowa. So, again, not that they'll use that to an advantage, but I do think it's worth something to note. So Yeah, no, that makes, that makes a lot of sense. Uh, so let's see here. There's a couple more I really want to hit before we wrap this up. We did we did a Zoom cast about this, Sean, but we'll quickly uh, rehash this. Breakout player on offense and defense. Uh, the tweet uh, the Twitter user said that it was uh, ju- his is Justin Britt. Nobody seems to be talking about him, and he, he thinks he'll solidify the inside of the offensive line. That's from Tom Hendricks. Uh, Sean, let's start on the offense. I'll let you take it away. Who's your breakout guy on the offense? I know we touched on this, but let's rehash this a little bit. Yeah, so I mentioned Sam Laporta as my guy. I mean, we've talked about him countless times before that just the way he was able to be emerged last year, had big games against Northwestern, Nebraska, and then USC in the Holiday Bowl where he had those five or six receptions. I think we could see him being used more last year. was more of a kind of an inline blocker guy on goal line situations to start out the season. But as the season progressed, he came to be more of that kind of receiver type as a tight end. And they showed a lot of progress there. So he's going to be my guy. Once he gets that, that confirmed bigger role, I think he's going to be a breakout guy. And I said mine, but I'm also going to add on another, another guy, I think, to keep an eye on. I said Quay Cronk, the graduate transfer from Indiana. Look, I know it might not be a popular, quote-unquote, breakout candidate if you get Quay Cronk, but I think when you're trying to replace Tristan Wirfs and you get a guy who started 40 games uh, for another Big Ten school, I think that's a tremendous get by Kirk Ferentz and the staff. And he is, I believe he's fully healthy because keep in mind his last season was cut short after four games uh, due to a devastating ankle injury. But if you're talking about a guy that you want, it's impossible to replace Tristan Wirtz. I mean, Big Ten Offensive Lineman of the Year, you know, an absolute athletic freak. Now he's protecting Tom Brady in the NFL. But I think I know a strong candidate would be Coy Cronk, and I think he's a guy to watch. I think another guy to watch, Sean – it kind of directly impacts that Justin Britt. I think they slide Mark Kallenberger in at guard. And what if Mark Kallenberger uh, takes over that spot over Justin Britt and Mark Kallenberger is the guy there. I think Iowa needs solid interior 
offensive line play to take that run game from 3.9, four yards to carry, and make it 4.4, 4.5, and have some potentially explosive plays. So I think you'll want to keep an eye on both those guys. Sean, I'll let you uh, take the defense. Who's your guy on defense? For defense, I put um, – for defense, is Jack Campbell, linebacker, sophomore linebacker, was mainly a kickoff guy last year, kind of special teams, but – Saw some action in a few games and showed what he could do. I mean, going back to his high school days, we saw how well he was able to cover sideline to sideline. Barry had a great nose for the ball, um, really good feel for just defense in general. And he's quick, too. He's quicker than I think most people would imagine. With Dylan Doyle being out and the possibility of uh, Jamin Colbert also opting out of the 2020 season, there's a chance that we could see Jack as kind of that middle linebacker role or one of the weak sides, too. Um, I think that's more up for like Justin Jacobs and Seth Benson on the weak side, but I'd be, I wouldn't be surprised to see some Jack Campbell, a lot of Jack Campbell at middle, at middle backer. You know, when I did say during the Zoom, Davion Nixon, I got some flack for it because they'd say he's not a breakout guy because he had a good year last year. All right, that's fine. I'll, I'll throw that aside and I'll throw in another candidate. I think you said, I think Justin Jacobs, if he gets the opportunity, I think Justin is going to be a big playmaker for Iowa because he is something that Iowa has not had in a while. I mean, Ben Neiman, I think, was decent at him. I think Justin's a different breed, though. Keep in mind, he was 195 pounds in high school. He's up to, I believe, 225, 230 now, six foot four, lengthy guy, solid tackler. But what he does better than anyone else I've seen on film at least from the linebacking core, he is a phenomenal blitzer. He knows how to read offensive lines. He knows how to stop on first impact. He does not fall from any play actions. And I think he could be a guy that can garner a few sacks. And I think he'd be a very interested, interesting guy. He throws certain sub packages and maybe he does that for uh, earns more opportunity. I think he's a guy to keep an eye on. And I'll say this, I think John Wagner, the former Dowling Catholics uh, defensive end is another guy to watch had offers from, you know, I, I, uh, Florida, Penn State, uh, Nebraska, Iowa, uh, Wisconsin, I mean, Ohio State. I mean, the list goes on and on. I think he's the guy I want to watch on defense as well. I think he brings a good skill set. Again, it's impossible to uh, replace A.J. Epinesa. I think the combination of John Wagner, Zach Van Valkenburg, uh, Matt Lorbeck, who's going to probably play in most games this year, the Northern Illinois transfer, because, again, with that blanket waiver, Sean, he can play all eight games and still play all of next year as well because he was originally going to redshirt this season. He'll be a guy to keep an eye on as well. And, again, Joe Evans. I mean, we saw what he could do last year as well. Uh, so those are a couple of names on defensive line, I think, to watch. And uh, number of games you expect Iowa basketball to play. Uh, 27. I, I think they're going to hit the max. I know they have 20 Big Ten games. I think you look at the – the Gavit games are up in the air right now with the Big East. Uh, they're going to get Big Ten ACC Challenge. They're going to try to hold a multi-team event. We'll see what happens there, but they won't be playing anybody of note. They are going to play Iowa State as well, from what I've been hearing. So those are a couple things to keep an eye on. But Jeff Goodman just tweeted this out, Sean. It makes a lot of sense. I want your take on this. A very common complaint right now for – uh, schedulers and college hoops is the multi-team events are screwing everything up. The NCAA should have made it 27 games period. It would have made it a lot easier. And I, you know, it, it, I think he brings up, I think they bring up a tremendous point because it does seem when you decide to start the season on November 25th and you have all this other stuff, 
it, it's got to be difficult, if not logistically impossible, to try to cram all this in. Yeah, no, it's gonna be it's gonna be tough, and I think with all the uncertainty we've seen, I mean, even in like the NFL now, and then some games with college football being canceled um, last second, it's gonna be a lot of hurdles that have to be jumped over. But I like to think positively that yeah, I think some of the by the time college basketball comes around, I think we'll have a better understanding, a better feel um, for making sure these games go off quickly. Definitely. And uh, last question before we wrap this up. Again, we'll keep you up to date about all Iowa schedule stuff. Hopefully we get something within the next three weeks. I would imagine if they actually want to start you know, on time or November 25th, we are going to see something within the next month or so. Um, the last question, what positions will be the hardest to get ready for when we're just under four weeks till the season starts? That's a – that's a that's a really interesting question. I think I have an idea, and I, I'm thinking about Iowa specifically. But if you're talking about uh, a position group, position uh, I'm group, gonna, I might go with linebacker or defensive line. I was going to go linebacker as well. Yeah, uh, I I think with. We'll see what happens with Jimon Colbert. I know there are multiple reports suggesting he was opting out. As we've been kind of hinting for the last couple of weeks, our VIP message board, it was likely, but no official word. I don't anticipate the university to have any official word until, you know, I think Kirk Ferentz is going to try to get all the people who want to opt out. And again, it's a very small number, but he probably wants them all to say it as a group rather than send out, you know, three or potentially four or whatever the number is press releases he probably wants them all to opt out together uh but sean i guess we should probably dive into this a little bit i think that what this means is i think nick neiman's gonna have a much bigger role in the in the linebacker room and from a leadership standpoint and i think he was already going to be a big leader but i think you look at now with christian welch gone to the nfl he graduated and now if jimon colbert is truly opting out I mean, that's a talented but pretty youthful linebacking group. Right, and I think there's going to be some hiccups here and there because I think people didn't appreciate Christian Welch as much as they should have last year. I mean, we saw it against Wisconsin. Um, Jonathan Taylor was able to put up the yards that he was because there was no Christian Welch. And another game, too, that's coming to mind that I can't think of at the top of my head. Welch didn't play for that one either, and the run game was definitely – not as tamed for the Iowa defense. So people are going to miss having Christian Welch around. I can tell you that I think Jack Campbell will get to that level eventually, but I don't think it's going to be an immediate, um, reliable impact like uh, Christian Welch had for Iowa in his, late, in his upperclassman years. So definitely, definitely missing out on Christian Welch will be tough. Yeah, I, I think linebacking. And, you know, I'll say this too. Not that Iowa does not have the talent – but I think tight end. I think tight end is an incredibly difficult position to play, especially with how much Iowa utilizes their tight end, Sean, especially for a new guy to come in and actually compete for time. And, again, you know, granted, knock on wood, I mean, that everybody stays healthy. What if one of Iowa's top tight ends go down? You're immediately looking at a redshirt freshman or a true freshman. I mean, it's you got to have them ready, I think, this season because, as we've talked about, depth might be more important than, than anything this year. So I think those two uh, position groups are something to keep an eye on. And really quick, Sean, you brought up you know, four wide receivers if they do that. 
or if Iowa does a three tight end set or whatnot. Keep in mind that Tyler Goodson what you know was played on the outside at times last year. Some of the biggest plays that Iowa had against Michigan, uh, Tyler Goodson was lined up as as the far wide receiver, as the X wide receiver. So he has that kind of versatility. Um, so that'll be something to keep in mind. But uh, yeah, I, I think that about wraps everything up. Next week we'll recap what happens with whatever happens with Peyton Sanford. Where does Iowa go from there? Where are the next steps? We'll continue to preview the upcoming season. Uh, I still don't want to give my official, official prediction for the season, but we might uh, we might be teasing that. But as always, stay tuned to HawkeyeInsider.com, part of the 24-7 Sports Network. Thanks for listening to this edition of the Swarmcast. If you want to submit a question, a topic, or anything else, be sure to tweet hashtag Swarmcast or at David Eicholt or at SBach247. Thanks for listening, and we'll talk to you next time.